You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you as we continue our series on the games that we play. It's about game theory, which is the study of strategy, how we work together, how we do what we do. Today's scripture lesson is from the book of Acts, the 17th chapter. Uh, it'll be on the screens, it'll be online, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Acts 17, verse 22. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all the nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, For we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone or image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now God commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The games we play. One of the favorite games that we play in the Rawl household is Clue. Do you know Clue, right? Yeah, Colonel Mustard in the ballroom with a lead pipe, right? Uh, but, but regular Clue, you have cards and you have to figure out. But regular Clue is not good enough for us, because we play Clue all the time. We have themed clues, right? We have Legend of Zelda Clue, which is like the best version of Clue. Uh, And and I remember last time we played this, we were going around the table, and of course, Legend of Zelda Clue is, it's exactly like regular Clue. (laughs) It's just the characters are different, and and it's exciting, right? Legend of Zelda, the video game from Nintendo. Um, So we're going around the table, and uh, uh, my daughter, who is sitting across from me, she, she says, okay, I think it's Link, who's the main character of Legend of Zelda, Link in Hyrule Field with the Master Sword. You know, well, I had Link in, in my hand, so I, I, I showed her my cards. And you do the kind of look where it's like, are you picking up what I'm putting down? You know the look, right? You go the, mm-hmm. I love when you grow in a relationship with someone, you, be, you can begin to communicate without any words. Right? You know, the, like you're at a party and it's time to go, so you do the, from across the room, which is very similar to the I need to say something look, the, 
right, you know, uh, or the I'm not sure you're right kind of look. Anyway, so I'm showing her the, you know what I'm, you're picking up what I'm putting down kind of look because I'm showing her that I have Link. So we go around the room again as we're playing the game, and this time my daughter sitting across from me says, okay, this time I think it's Link in Hyrule Castle with the boomerang. I said, um, so I do the, I'm not sure you're picking up what I'm putting down look. And I show her like, well, I, and I don't want to tell everybody, but like, I, no, I, I have, I have Link in, in my hand. It's not, it's not, I have Link. I, you know. So I go around a third time and you know what's coming. <laughs> she says for a third time, this time, I think it's Link in Hyrule Castle with the grappling hook. Like, so we pause the game. I mean, now this could have been a very savvy strategy. You know, like, keep everyone guessing because you pretend not to know how to play the game. It's like, you know, you go to the pool hall and you, like, scratch a couple times, like, I don't know how to play pool. So the guy says, okay, double or nothing. Then you're like, it's on. And then you take your, your own pool stick out and you're like, you know, and you clean up, right? That's not what my daughter was doing. So we had to stop the game and say, okay, no. If I, if I, have, if I have Link in my hand... That means Link is not in the secret folder, right, at the end of the game, like the whodunit folder. If Link, you, can, you can want Link to be in the folder as much as you want. Link is not in that folder because Link is in my hand, right? This is what, uh, what, what, what really sets Clue apart from other games, right? It's, it's not a game that you have to put a thing in a thing, right? Or it's not like a ball in a hoop or a bat on a ball, right? It's also not a game where you score points like Jeopardy or Trivia, where you're accumulating things, right? It's also not uh, the kind of game where you have to go on an adventure or accomplish a task like Legend of Zelda. You have to save the princess at the end of the game, right? And it's also not like other card games because other card games, your job is to try to figure out what someone has in their hand. With Clue, the option or, or, or the goal is to figure out what they don't have in their hand. In other words, fascinating, it is a game about searching for what is unknown. It's a game about searching for what is not known to anyone around the table. The search for what is not known. Here's Paul. Paul is going through the city of Athens. It is this very educated city. It's cosmopolitan. It's a trade route. It has a rich, rich history. And Paul's going through the city and he sees this altar to an unknown God. There's this searching. The Athenians are searching for what is unknown. And Paul says, I have good news, friends. I have good news. I know who this unknown God is. Let me tell you about him. It's Colonel Mustard in the ballroom. With, and that's what he says. He starts with, he starts with, Athenians, I see that you are extremely religious in every way. And it might sound like a compliment. It's not really a compliment. Or as, or as, we, or as I call growing up, a backhanded compliment. Have you ever heard a backhanded compliment? Uh, and when I was in divinity school, uh, after Katrina hit New Orleans, we had a prayer service uh, in, our, in our chapel. And I, I, was, I was from Slidell. I was, I was in the neighborhood. So I led the prayer for this prayer service, and someone caught me uh, after the service and said, wow, you speak really well for being from South Louisiana. <laughs> Thank you. Like, what are you supposed to say? Like, 
sorry the banjo didn't fit on the Vespa on the way in. Like, what are you, what are you supposed to say to that? You know, well, it's hard to talk with a gator on your shoulders. So, you know, what are you supposed to say? Well, you speak, it's kind of like, well, you, you really don't sweat much for being overweight, right? You know, this is just one of those. Thank you. you uh, one of my favorites as of late is, you look great for being 40, right? Have you seen? Athenians, I see that you are very religious in every way. Not necessarily a compliment. I, ex- I see how religious you are. At least, I don't want folks here at Asbury to, oh, you go to Asbury. I see that you are very religious in every way. That is not the same as saying, I see that you are mission-minded, or I see that you feed those who are hungry, or I see that you are committed to children beginning their journey well. All of that is not the same as saying, oh, you go to Asbury. I see that you are very religious in every way. Not necessarily a good thing. The altars in Athens weren't places of devotion or justice or change or community. (laughs) They were depositories for insurance. That's what these altars were. They were where you would make your payment to cover yourself, right? You want to ensure that you have a good harvest. You pay a little bit to the God of the harvest. You're about to take a trip overseas. I'm going to give a little something to the God of the ocean and the waves just so that I'm covered. Uh, I want, I'm starting a new program with Sophocles, so I'm going to go and give a little bit to the God of education. I'm going to, and this is not foreign. This is not foreign to us. Let me tell you, I'll just say it out loud. If there was an altar against having bats in your sanctuary, I would have knelt at it for I don't know how many years, right? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, ask your neighbor because I bet they do, <laughs> right? Three months and $40,000 later, we got the bats out of the sanctuary, right? So we, this is not new. This is not foreign to us of us covering our bases, of purchasing insurance. It might look a little different in Athens than it does here today. And I'm not saying insurance is a bad thing. Like we all, we all have, I hope we have it. We, we all have it. We all should have it because we should be responsible and to cover ourselves. But Kneeling at the altar of insurance is not what our faith should be in God. I hope that you aren't here out of fear of what God might do to you if you weren't. I hope you're not here as an insurance policy. Though I wouldn't blame you if you were. At the beginning of the Methodist Church, John Wesley had this mindset. Uh, the beginning of the Methodist Church it started as a holy club at Oxford. A bunch of holy rollers going to Oxford. In fact, the word Methodism was a derision. Those Methodists, they're so methodical in the way that they pray all the time. And every Tuesday they go to the prisons and every Wednesday they're, they're so methodical. I wish they would just relax a little bit, right? That's how the Methodist movement started. And John Wesley, he was obsessive about whether or not he was in a state of grace or a state of sin. And he would write this in his journal. Am I in a state of grace or am I in a state of sin? And it got so bad that almost every 15 minutes he was writing and contemplating, am I in a state of grace or am I in a state of sin? It's like bowing to the altar of insurance instead of the altar of assurance. Am I covered? Because God help me if I'm not. But then, but then, that's not where the story ends. Don't go anywhere. But then... 
John Wesley had what he called his Aldersgate experience, where his heart was strangely warmed. This is what he says. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street. How many, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you have gone unwillingly to church or uh, unwillingly to a church council meeting or unwillingly to, uh, you're in good company. John Wesley went unwillingly to a Bible study on Aldersgate Street. He says, someone was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans and about a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that God had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a rhythm. There's nothing wrong with having daily practices of, of devotion. In fact, a couple weeks ago at Who We Are, which is I, I hang out in the sanctuary for 30 minutes after worship. If you have questions about the sermon or questions about who Asbury is or questions about anything, uh, the, maybe the preseason Saints game last night, questions about whatever. At Who We Are, I talked about my daily rhythm. Every day I start prayer in a particular way. There's nothing wrong with having a daily rhythm unless that daily rhythm is a means of protecting you from an angry God. Unless I do these things, then somehow God is going to smite me. Last week, last week, we baptized Luke Tyre, and, and during the baptism, we asked one of our Methodist questions, do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and put your whole trust in his grace? Do you trust that God is graceful? Or as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, do you know God to be a pardoning God? It is the first question we ask when you say, I want to serve the church. Do you know God as a pardoning God? Because if worship and devotion and tithing is, is an insurance policy for you, It's a tough place to be. Several years ago, uh, I was having a conversation with one of my college uh, roommates. Uh, his name is Daniel. And when we were freshmen at LSU, we were on fire and we were going to church. We went to separate churches, but we were on fire. We were going to church uh, uh, almost, almost, almost every week. Almost every week. I, I don't want to lie to you nice people. I don't want to say every week. Almost every week as a college freshman, we were going to church and we were uh, really diving into our faith. But eventually... You know, life happens, college happens, uh, and Daniel stopped going. So, so I asked him, I was like, hey, man, like we used to, like I'd drop you off, we, we used to, why, why don't you go anymore? He said, because I'm, I'm not good enough. Now, these weren't his words, but he essentially said, I'm not religious enough to be a part of their community, is what he was really saying. I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. Do you know God as a pardoning God? 
If your faith journey is building an altar to an unknown God as an insurance policy, then over time he will begin to accrue a balance that you don't believe even Jesus himself could pay. I'm not good enough. So, why bother? It's like when you're playing Clue and someone keeps saying, Colonel Mustard. And you're like, no, 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 I have Colonel Mustard. It's not Colonel Mustard. As much as you want Colonel Mustard to be in that file, Colonel Mustard's not in that file. So stop believing what is not there. Why do we hold on to these things? There are some... There are some who, oh, oh, there you go. Let's wake you up. Just checking if you're still here. <laughs> there are some who believe that the cross is what God will do to them if they don't believe. As opposed to the cross being what God has already done for you. God was pleased to reconcile all things to him. The cross and the empty tomb is what God through Christ has already done so that you might be free. So that you might confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior and trust in grace. That yes, you are covered by the grace of God. The cross is not a punishment. It is a privilege to carry it for one another. Because it is the way of love. Oh, Athenians, I see that you are extremely religious in every way. For the Pharisees, Jesus was not religious enough, really. One day, Jesus and his disciples were eating, and they weren't washing their hands before they ate, which was a violation of the <clears throat> religious code at the time. The Pharisees reminded Jesus, Jesus, hey man, your followers are not washing their hands before they eat. <laughs> and Jesus said, well, it's not, it's not what goes in to a person that defiles, but what, what comes out, right? Like lying and slander and anger. It's what comes out of a person that tarnishes that image of God. It's not that we are to be more religious and to set up more altars. Frankly, I don't think we could squeeze another church on airline drive. But it is about kneeling at the one that matters. Not about kneeling at the altar of insurance, but building an altar rooted in assurance. Do you know that God is merciful? Do you know that God is love? This is what Paul says in our scripture today. He says, while God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now God commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which we will have the world, he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all. I'm going to say that part again. He has given assurance to all, not assurance just to the Methodists or assurance to those who go to the Holy Club or assurance to those who fly right or assurance to those who have never made a mistake. God has offered assurance to all. through the resurrection of Christ. If we just hang on to that for just a moment, Paul is saying, hey, here's an altar to an unknown God. I know who this God is. This is a God who has reconciled all things through Christ, whom he has raised from the dead. The mystery is over. The trick now 
is believing it to be true. Do you really believe that grace is strong enough to cover even you? Or to cover that schmuck who's on Facebook that keeps messing up your life? Oh, grace is grace, grace, God's grace. Grace is amazing when it's given to me. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace is really tough when it's given to those schmucks, right? So it's, it's a gift when it's given to you, man. It's the toughest pill in all of Christendom to swallow when it's given to someone you don't think deserves it. A building of assurance. Yes, we are called to repent. We are called to repent from building altars of insurance and start stepping out in faith and living into assurance that grace is indeed powerful enough to call us into communion with God. Because God is the one who leaves the 99 to incessantly search for the one. And those who kept the 99, I would imagine Jesus looking at the Pharisees and saying, I see that you are extremely religious in every way. And if there was one sheep that was lost, your religious sensibilities would say to cut your losses and keep the 99 and keep going. God is a God who incessantly searches for the one who looks at someone like Daniel and says, why do you think you're not good enough to be in my presence? Friends, have you lived with another human being? If you are the perfect one in the room, I would really love to see you and to interview you of how you've managed to make it this far. Now, truth be told, um, we do tend to make lot when we see an altar to an unknown God, we tend to make lots of assumptions. And we tend to make lots of assumptions of our neighbors, especially when we're zealous and we're on fire for God. Even if we're like reaching out and concerned and service to the world, sometimes, what is that? We, we can be puffed up with our own grace. I had a friend in high school, a very close friend in high school, who I looked down upon because he was unkind, angry, often bitter, made tons of fun of me. Remember the manatee? Yeah? See where that came from? And we were out uh, at a party New Year's Eve my junior year, and he got a call. I don't know who called him, but I was close enough to hear. And the person on the other phone said, you need to collect your mother. So I drove him, and I saw him as a junior in high school holding his mother's hair back while she vomited her life away. Mm. How dare I be upset that he is bitter <laughs> or angry or unkind for a child to have to take care of their mother years before they ever should. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Oh, the assumptions we make when we see an altar to an unknown God 
or a friend who is unexplained, unexplainedly bitter, or someone we consider an enemy. Let us not build altars of insurance to cover ourselves, <laughs> but let us build a foundation of assurance so that we are free. We are free to proclaim, I know who this hidden God is. And it is a God of love. It is a God of forgiveness. And do you trust in his grace? Do you trust that you are loved? Do you trust that your neighbor is also loved? Hmm. Maybe, maybe we do need to get a clue about who God is. Or at least a reminder. Hmm. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.